0: Hello everyone, you are listening to Cinema 5000, and I am Mallory, your host, here to talk to you about a bunch of movies I have seen in recent times. It's been a couple weeks since the last episode, I just didn't really have my stuff together in life to like get an episode done last week, so here I am this week, <laughs> uh, and uh, because of that the episode is going to be significantly longer than I really wanted it to be. I do believe I have thirteen movies to talk to you about. I'm like sort of scanning it to see, so that's eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. yeah, <laughs> bit of a long episode, but uh luckily some luckily for me that is some of these are newer movies, and I don't really wanna spoil them for you but uh let's let's uh let's talk numbers before we get into that uh we're at five thousand three hundred and thirty eight films. Uh and because I was like preparing for this episode, I decided to like rewatch some movies uh recently, which we'll talk about in the rewatch recap episode at the end of the year. But uh um I uh I just want to mention that I went back and watched Roadhouse, which I haven't seen in probably I don't know, a good like maybe ten years or so, and that is a fun film and I am so sad to report that there is a remake incoming in twenty twenty four which stars Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh no. <laughs> So, um, some bad news there, uh, yeah, along with the good news of Roadhouse still being roadhouse, um but we'll talk about that in the rewatch episode. <laughs> Just wanted to give you something different, really, off the top of my head, uh, but yeah, so, as I said, five thousand three hundred and thirty eight films, where do we start? Well, when I hit the diary, going back <laughs> a couple weeks, uh right before Halloween on the night of october twenty seventh I ended up watching the movie. Maniac Cop, from 1988, directed by William Lustig. The tagline is, you have the right to remain silent forever. (laughs) Uh, In New York, people are slain and strangled to death brutally on the open street. All witnesses agree that the murderer was in a cop's uniform. Soon the police search and find a suspect in its own ranks, Jack Forrest, suspected of murdering his own wife and the rest of the unfortunate individuals to die by the maniac cop's reign of terror. To prove his innocence, he investigates the case with his partner, Teresa Mallory. Hey, great name. Um, (laughs) So this suspect, of course, as I said, his name is Jack Forrest, and he is actually played by Bruce Campbell. But if you've watched the movie in the first 10 minutes or so, you know that guy is not. Bruce Campbell, who is actually the, uh, titular maniac cop. Not too much to say about this other than that it's very eighties and, uh, New York grizzliness, a uh, New York city that does not exist anymore, like really seedy back alleys and nasty, uh, parts of, <laughs> parts of, not, I can't say down of the city, um, and thus making it perfect for the, uh, maniac cop to thrive and cre- create crime in areas that are very, um, CD and uh, commit brutal acts I uh, do want to note that this does feature a performance by the late, great Richard Roundtree, who you might also know as Shaft, John Shaft, that is. Uh, I uh, <laughs> I don't remember too much about this movie other than it was pretty gritty and nasty. And uh, Bruce Campbell looked pretty good in this movie. I'll give him some credit. Uh, <laughs> the '80s were um, high time for Bruce Campbell, and you know he's still doing stuff today. But uh, yeah, in the midst of all the evil deadness, um, he did said m- movie maniac. <laughs> Uh <laughs> yeah, uh I liked this. I gave it 3 stars. I know there's a couple sequels to it. Uh who knows if I'll get to that. I ended up watching this on Tubi, which you will hear a number of times in this episode. I just went ham hey, on like Tubi like what they had for horror, horror movies. Um it's also available on Peacock. Um One great thing about Peacock is you sometimes start a movie and they just say, just watch these commercials and you're all set, like right before the movie. But if you watch on Tubi, you do get interruptions. (laughs) Though the interruptions on Tubi are are kind of reminiscent of like the days of when you would watch movies on cable. Do people still do that? I sometimes still do that. (laughs) But anyway, Maniac Cop, not a lot to talk about other than Bruce Campbell and it's gritty, it's nasty, and it's a good time. I gave it three Stars, a movie that is not so good that I did watch on Tubi. It is Flesh Tone from nineteen ninety four, which has no tagline and is directed by Harry Hurwitz. Uh, the summary goes like this: Matthew Greco is fascinated by death. As a successful artist, he paints gruesome portraits of murders and suicides. Yet, despite his success, he is unhappy and alone. In desperation, he answers a phone sex ad and becomes entangled with Edna, a woman who seems to share his morbid desires and strange needs. They decide to meet one another in person, but the rendezvous goes horribly wrong when Matthew finds Edna dead. Or is it Edna? Dun dun dun. <laughs> um, I love an erotic thriller, you know, and just a movie that's like kind of seedy and, uh, darkness and you know things aren't what they seem. You know, sort of like noirs, but you know maybe a little more, bit more modern, <laughs> uh, in the thriller sense. Um, and that's what brought me to watch this movie, Flesh Tone, which has nobody of note in it other than the lead, who is. Matthew Greco is played by, whose name is Martin Kemp, who is like basically like a dollar store version of Richard E. Grant, like none of the fun, but like trying to be kind of suave and British, but you know, not really, really seductive at all. Uh, This movie is like (laughs) very ridiculous and not very, um, how shall I say, not very well funded in its production. Uh, There were a number of signs on buildings that looked like somebody painted them. Um, but somebody who didn't know how to paint a sign. Like you gave a can of paint to some dude off the street and you said, hey, paint me a sign that says the name of this, like this bar or this restaurant or something. <laughs> the guy didn't know what he was doing. Uh, The acting is really terrible, not good. There's a lot of really bad music as well that made this whole thing feel like a movie you'd watch very late after dark <laughs> on like, Cinemax, and there was a scene um when Matthew was on the phone with Edna, and they were talking about you know things they wanted to do and what they were wearing, and the scene was just like the most ridiculously staged scene that would be in a movie that is for adults only like visualizing this woman that he's thinking about, and that just made me question you know, was this movie more dirty after? Or during production or whatever. And then they cut it down to make it this R-rated movie or something. I don't know. But it was ultimately a very, very terrible movie. And it has an ending where things just end. Like, we discover somebody's died and it's just like, oh... Well, that's the end of the movie. We don't really get any closure. It was just absolutely terrible. Um, if you want to watch something really bad on Tubi, definitely watch Fleshtone, but I don't recommend Flesh Tone. <laughs> I gave it one star, and it's directed by Harry Hurwitz. I gotta say, this movie, <laughs> it's a special kind of bad. Like, it just never had a chance. It's not, like, even amusing in a way that, like, you could watch it and maybe, like, think about riffs for it. It's just so incredibly bad but let's move on uh (laughs) a movie i'd been wanting to watch for quite a while it's the rapture from 1991 directed by michael tolkien the tagline is all will be forgiven all but one a lonely telephone operator leading an empty amoral life finds god only to have her faith continually tested in ways beyond what she could have imagined so I am not a religious person. I was not really raised religiously or spiritually whatsoever. Um, so I do consider myself like a agnostic, but uh, I found this to be a very intriguing and interesting drama. Mimi Rogers stars in the film as Sharon. She's this woman who, with her husband, um, they just pick up random people and are like, hey, do you want to go have some fun? Just having a good time or whatever. And then she ends up uh, getting involved with a man named Randy, played by David Duchovny. And some awful things happen. And she starts to say, you know, if God is, like, so trying to find a good path for us, why do these bad things keep happening? And... Uh, I don't want to go in too much into it but I did find this to be a little flat at times but at the same time always intriguing. Like I thought Mimi Rogers was really really good in her role as Sharon and as the film progresses it doesn't ask too much of the audience. It just sort of wants you to learn about her character and what she's going through. Um, It's not too overly dramatic in a production sense. It's more like it's a it's about people and people asking questions and uh when things really uh (laughs) how shall I say it without spoiling it I don't know when Sharon sort of comes to it's funny I don't want to say like her come to Jesus moment but when she sort of has to look at everything in the world and figure things out um (laughs) it's 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 really dramatic like uh in just a just an acting way and (laughs) It's just, it's such a stripped down film, but the way it sort of portrays things is kind of like the way you would envision and play would do it, uh, when it comes to, uh, Sharon choosing between if she wants to, uh, forgive God and all these other things. I, it's hard to describe. Um, frankly, I just think you should watch The Rapture if you're interested in it. I, I'm pretty sure Wikipedia would do a better job of explaining it than I would, but, um, it has, it's... It's an interesting movie that asks questions of characters and it doesn't ask them in a way that we are seeing them suffer necessarily. It's more so that the characters are discovering things about themselves and the situations they're in and we go from there. Uh, So it's it's pretty well made and it's it's interesting and I I enjoyed it. It is not really a thriller. It is not a horror movie. It's more so a straight drama. Uh, So if you go into this looking at the cover of the poster and think it's some kind of seductive thriller. It's not really like that. (laughs) I gave it three stars. You can watch The Rapture right now if you have the Criterion channel. Uh, There's some interesting movies they've been putting on in recent times as far as like older horror movies or maybe more modern horror movies uh the criterion channel is always like a really great source for finding a random movie and how they curate things i really recommend it um and like i said i recommend the rapture i gave it three stars uh (laughs) a movie i sadly cannot recommend it's five nights at freddy's from 2023 directed by emma tammy the tagline is can you survive five nights and the summary goes like this recently fired and desperate for work a troubled young man named mike agrees to take a position as a night security guard at an abandoned theme park excuse me abandoned theme restaurant freddy fazbear pizzeria but he soon discovers that nothing at Freddy's is what it seems. So this starts stars really just Josh Hutchinson as Mike, this man who has taken this role to uh, try to support his family, make sure things don't go by the wayside and he can take care of his little sister. And Matthew Lillard is uh, <laughs> Steve, who was a guy who recommended him for this job to earn some cash working the night shift. And, uh... Uh, If you've seen the poster or the trailer, you kind of get an idea for what is going to happen. And there's not really any surprises with Five Nights at Freddy's. I have not played the video game, though. I'm very curious about the video game. I actually uh, went ahead and got, like, the first uh, version of the game from my Switch to play it sometime. Because ultimately, um, it just felt like the concept of what this movie was going for was just too flat to be interesting, for me, someone who has never played the game, uh, it was just, yeah, um, haunted animatronic characters, (laughs) um, but I will give the film credit, as much as it was something that I didn't quite enjoy and just found to be a little undercooked, um, the character design in the film is, like, great, like, top-notch, looks really believable, uh, and it's not, like, CGI all the way through. I gotta I gotta assume they have some CGI, but... Uh, <laughs> character design-wise, um, it's the kind of stuff I want to see in movies. I want to see things that look like they could be real. Things that are from life, and if they don't exist in the real world, like, make it believable. So, that worked for me. Um, but I'm curious. Like, if I start to play this video game, will I enjoy the movie? Uh, I don't know. The story ultimately isn't really really interesting it has some conflict with the family and uh mary Stuart masterson has a small role as mike's aunt who's like threatening to take away his little sister a really bizarre part uh doesn't really work <laughs> but um i think setting aside the script stuff like there was there was things about it that i just didn't i didn't hate and kind of wondered you know the this is is not just why I got the game I got the game actually before I saw the movie I just haven't played it yet Uh, (laughs) but I am curious like if I play the game I'm gonna like the movie more but um I ultimately do acknowledge, too, that I am someone who is in their late 30s and um, maybe is not the audience for this, too. Like, I can see this being something that's really popular among kids. And I got to assume it is as far as like high school kids these days or maybe a little younger. And from what I know about like people I know who have taken their kids to see it or just about, I mean, thinking about the box office numbers, like those are numbers where all these kids are going together, <laughs> um, it had a big dip its second weekend at the box office and people are like, oh my gosh, it's like, because of Peacock, like people in the internet not just freaking out. I'm just like, you know, teenagers just go see things like when they come out and if they like it and, uh, they go with a big group of friends. Um, chances are if there's a group of friends of like, say five of them, like if somebody in that group really, really likes it, like maybe just one of them goes to go see it again. That is just kind of what happens <laughs> with teen films. There's always a big big drop especially like in the horror genre because this is this is definitely not like a teen comedy it is like edging on horror and there's some elements in it that I was actually kind of surprised for PG-13 but regardless um let's just say I am too old for Five Nights at Freddy's (laughs) Uh, so I give it two stars but as I said I'm very intrigued if I start playing the video game would I like this movie maybe we'll find out in a future episode (laughs) so let's move on um yeah so I what day did I watch this next movie? So I watched 5 Nights at Freddy's on Halloween Eve, Halloween night. What was I doing? Was I work? No, I was I went to a concert, so I wasn't even around. Um but before 5 Nights at Freddy's I went to the Coolidge Corner horror marathon. Um I watched many movies. I watched 7 out of the 8 movies that they played. Did they play movies I'm looking I'm looking yeah I guess they did um <laughs> let me briefly tell you about that um oh no wait I can't count um it, they played seven movies okay so the Coolidge corner horror marathon is always like the Saturday night overnight into the Sunday um at noon basically midnight to noon um they do it uh, every Saturday every year before Halloween um and uh the movies they play this year were Rosemary's Baby*, Suspiria, the Blair Witch Project. Uh, they played or did not play uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, The Conjuring, and The Craft. And the last movie they played was The House of the Devil. I didn't stay for that one because I had to catch a bus home, but um, I went to that marathon. I think I mentioned the last episode. I would talk about it a little bit, but um, at the Coolidge Corner Theater in Boston or Brooklyn, rather. Um, I just really love the marathons they do, movie marathons. I try to stay awake as best as I can. The only movie or movies, I know for sure I stayed awake during the entire time for, uh, were Rosemary's Baby and The Craft. Um, I've seen Suspiria a number of times. I'm pretty sure I dozed a little bit during it, but, um, Suspiria and all the other movies, they all show them on film. So it's a really awesome experience. Uh, the one movie I was like kind of disappointed they didn't show. Um, I was disappointed they did not show Warlock cause it was all witch themed. Like they easily could have they could have shown morlock um (laughs) uh and coven wise uh there was another movie i was thinking like they they could have shown something oh the lords of salem the rob zombie movie which i do do own on blu-ray and it i (laughs) okay if i can recall as far as the quality of rob zombies movies i think the lords of salem is like my favorite one (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe don't quote me on that. Um, I'm going to rewatch that one soon as well as, uh, The Devil's Rejects because I haven't seen those since like they first came out. Yeah. I wish they had shown the Lords of Salem, especially since like Massachusetts, close Salem. but uh, whatever, um, the Coolest Corner of horror, th- horror Marathon that I went to on, um. October 29th was a very good time and a lot of fun, and uh, I look forward to going next year and finding out whatever the theme was, because I said it was witches, covens, whatever. Rosemary's Baby is a classic. Uh, I gave that four stars. Suspiria, I gave five stars. Maybe I should have given it four. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, Blair Witch Project, I like that movie. gave it three stars. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs gave that four stars. I don't think it's perfect. I think it's great classic though uh The Conjuring I'm not a big fan two and a half stars I just think it's a little I don't know not unique enough of a film and I don't quite like the story uh The Craft I gave that three stars as much as it's kind of uh, how shall I say it's a very flawed film I think the impact that movie has as a viewer and how you think about teenage life like when I first saw The Craft as a kid I was only I must have been 11 and then seeing it uh as an adult now there's so many more things I understood about it and recognized just like prob- problematic things that teenagers go through and angst and such but um yeah those are the movies I saw at the Coolidge Corner horror marathon I said I was only going to review 13 movies and now we just got to 19 <laughs> but that's sort of rewatch stuff so whatever um <laughs> but anyway On November 1st, I watched a movie a friend of mine had recommended because of Halloween and stuff. Uh, The movie I watched was The Exorcism of Emily Rose from 2005, directed by Scott Derrickson. The tagline is, what happened to Emily? When a younger girl called Emily Rose dies, everyone puts blame on the exorcism, which was performed on her by her father, Moore, prior to her death. The priest is arrested on suspicion of murder. The trial begins with her lawyer, Aaron Berner, representing Moore. But it is not going to be easy, as no one wants to believe what Father Moore says is true. I was not impressed with this movie, unfortunately. I think I didn't really know how to balance the story of Emily Rose's character, and what she went through, and her alleged possession, and then the courtroom stuff. Because the courtroom stuff... Took up like 75-80% of the movie. It was really disappointing. And just not really interesting. It was kind of like average courtroom stuff. And I hate saying that because the characters weren't interesting. But the actors playing them were all good actors. Like we've got Laura Linney here. We've got Tom Wilkinson. We've got Campbell Scott. And then we have Emily Rose played by Jennifer Carpenter. And she was fine. As a culmination, like as a total film, it just felt off, not very successful and i was I was so disappointed by this, and I hate saying I was disappointed because <laughs> it it was like an interesting setup I didn't know it was a courtroom drama, so when I turned it on, I was like oh okay i I can get behind this i'm I'm not like a hater on courtroom dramas like when they're really interesting, I'm really into it, but It just didn't, it didn't quite work for me. Um, I ended up watching this on Hulu, which is weird because I actually have a DVD copy that I got in a like random DVD grab bag, but this just wasn't for me, unfortunately. Uh, I think the performances did a lot of the heavy lifting for this, and also the editing wasn't really impressive. I didn't like... I didn't like the pacing of it it felt far too long for what the story was so the exorcism of emily rose from 2005 directed by scott derrickson only gave it two stars uh moving on priscilla from 2023 directed by sofia coppola no tagline but here's the summary when teenage priscilla bullio meets elvis presley at a party the man who is already a meteoric rock and roll superstar becomes someone entirely unexpected in private moments a thrilling crush an ally in loneliness a vulnerable best friend i'm a big fan of sophia coppola's movies even the ones i'm not like a big fan of i i uh, recently like ranked her movies because everybody was doing that on the internet (laughs) like the week that priscilla went wide And, uh, I think The Beguiled is like my least favorite movie of hers, but even that, I still give three stars. Um, and when it comes to Priscilla, I think it's kind of in the middle of pack for Sofia Coppola, but it rings true to all the things that she as a filmmaker is capable of doing. Um... And can portray. And I was like interested in the challenge of like, is this going to be more of an Elvis y kind of story or is it going to be full Sophia Coppola? And I think she does a really good job of finding a balance, uh, especially telling the story through music without even using Elvis's music. Uh, That was a fun quality to the film that I really appreciated. And now I think I want to see the film again to like really understand it a, just a little more like through the lyricalness because in the beginning I was just kind of like oh well this is like period music and then um I read some more things about the movie and the songs and it's like whoa 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 she's like telling part of the story through the music especially since uh, the character of Priscilla who's play- played wonderfully by Kaylee Spaney um she's a very introverted quiet girl and she is literally just a girl when she meets Elvis. She's 14 years old, and in fact, when she first meets Elvis and they talk, and he asks her how old she is, he assumes that she's a little bit older than she really is. <laughs> um, and my audience, when <laughs> that scene happened, were just kind of like, oh, I heard a couple people gasp because I don't think they were quite aware that. Priscilla was only 14 years old when she met Elvis and he was like, what, 10 years, 11 years older than her? Yikes. Um, But that's, that's what this movie is about. It is about a young woman, uh, unfortunately losing a lot of her youth because of this man that came into her life and eventually took control of her. And once they got into a relationship when she was a little older, I mean, he made her wait and all this stuff is absolutely crazy. Um, She just lost like her ability to really just be in the world as just Priscilla instead she was Elvis's Priscilla and she was just at Graceland just sitting around waiting him for him to be there and finding a kind of loneliness that you can only find in a relationship with someone when they're not around and how even when you're with them um you just lose you lose things you lose your grasp on like who you are as an individual and I don't even know I I want to read the book now Elvis and me that this is based on which is Priscilla's book Uh, cause I really get a sense that like, she just lost her chance to really become an individual because of this relationship and how the world of Elvis was either through how he treated her or how other people treated their relationship and within the family of how things were managed for the Elvis sort of world. And, um, yeah, it's very tragic and sad. Uh, their relationship was really not, um not the best. There's a number of scenes where Elvis treats her very badly and is very controlling, and I applaud Sofia Coppola for showing those things in ways that weren't necessarily graphic. Uh, There were a number of scenes where I think a different filmmaker would have had like not as much care to the subject matter, especially since uh, Priscilla is portrayed as such an innocent young woman. We don't necessarily see her visibly like brutalized in ways that women have been brutalized on film but you know that when things are happening to her and how Elvis treats her is just not right and that's setting aside the age stuff that's the general dynamic between their them and their relationship where she has to obey him and really you know forget the things she wants it's all about how she fits into his life um yeah it's pretty sad and tragic um but not in an overwhelming sense. But it may hit you after, especially with the ending. Oh boy! Um, but I did quite like Priscilla. I gave this three and a half stars. It's a movie I I definitely think I'll watch again. Um, but it is very quiet to start. I will say it does take some warming up to because uh, it do, it's such a different kind of pace. Um, I think back to Sophia Coppola's films and how she starts things out, and a lot of times she uses. Really um, soft, but more modern music to get you into the sense of what her subjects are going through. But Priscilla has a different kind of musical scope because it wants to fit into this world that is a re- real world. So, like the Virgin Suicides is not; it's it's more of like a fantasy kind of world. And I think about I think about Lost in Translation, and that's more this idea of like these people being outsiders to Japan. But um, Priscilla it acknowledges that we live in this world where we know who Elvis is and we're seeing a movie where Elvis is portrayed but um, we also want to portray Priscilla because she's also a real person uh, in a way where the music can connect to us and what we know about music uh, and that environment but maybe not be too fantastical it it definitely is a grounded film when it aims to portray uh these people but uh like like I said I enjoyed Priscilla I gave it three and a half stars good performances from Kaylee Spaney and I didn't mention it but Jacob Elordi plays Elvis, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's pretty good as Elvis, and I, uh, like the cast, uh, liked, I liked how she cast these people, uh, they all kind of looked like this era, uh, and Kaylee Spaney, um, she is significantly shorter compared to Jacob Elordi, and that was very good casting <laughs> by, uh, Coppola for this film, so I'll, I'll mention that again, uh, yeah, I like Sophia Coppola's movies, I know they're not for everybody, but there's, there's, there's a certain sense of, um, just women and girls that she portrays that feels so right and so true though that might be just you know the certain worldview she has is also something that you know is comparable to like things I know and have been exposed to but whatever yeah let's move on (laughs) okay uh another horror movie I watched that was yes it was on Tubi (laughs) it's the movie I Madman from 1989 directed by Tibor Takas the tagline is lose yourself in a good book a bookshop clerk starts seeing the disfigured killer from her favorite 1950s pulp novel come to life and start killing people around her. I wasn't a fan of this, unfortunately. It felt like almost too short and slight in its story details, and I didn't like the pacing of it. I did like the lead character, though, Virginia, who's played by Jenny Wright. I know I have seen her in something else. Okay, she's in Near Dark. I remember her from that. Uh, it's weird. I don't remember her from The World According to Garb because she's in that. Uh, she's also in Lawnmower Man, which I saw a number of years ago. But, um, the problem with I'm Madman is it just doesn't really have the goods. It's not very scary. Uh, and when it's like nasty, it's a little nasty. Yeah. Um, This is the kind of movie that I wish somebody would remake. Like, you could take this kind of story and make it like some girl, like, you know, going to a a used bookstore and she doesn't know that, like, the books she's picking out are, like, sort of connected to things and nastiness. But, um, yeah, I don't have a lot to say about this one, unfortunately. It just didn't quite work for me. Um, I'm looking up Tibor Takas. Has he made anything else I've seen? No, but he made the movie The Gate, which I am vaguely familiar with. And apparently he made a Sabrina the Teenage Witch movie. Okay. (laughs) But yeah, I, Madman from 1989, directed by Tibor Takis. As I said, I don't have a lot to say about this one. It just didn't quite work for me and it was a little grisly. And it's on Tubi in case you want to see it and maybe think you'll like it more than I did for two stars. Um, (laughs) Okay, another nasty movie. Didn't watch this one on Tubi, but it is available on Tubi. I watched it on Shudder instead. Uh, It's The Stepfather. Three from 1992, directed by Guy Magar. The tagline is "Daddy's been working in the garden again." After escaping a Puget Sound institution, stepfather Gene Clifford alters his appearance with plastic surgery and takes on another new identity, Keith Grant. Moving to Deerview, California, Keith falls for a divorced school principal, arousing the suspicions of her wheelchair-bound, computer-savvy son. Um, <laughs> I didn't quite like this one. I gave it two stars. But this has a lot of very admirable things that you don't see in a lot of horror movies from the early 90s, which are Whip Smart Kids... Um, the young boy, uh, <laughs> he gets on like a computer with this priest that he knows and he like figures out everything to do with this man, Keith, and how he just thinks There's something not quite right about him. Uh, <laughs> like I love a kid, c- excuse me, I love a computer savvy kid in like an older film great. Awesome. Uh, the beginning of the film also starts out with the most ridiculous idea for like a back alley, uh, plastic surgeon (laughs) to make this man's identity look different. It's absolutely ridiculous. And then the end of the film has like some really gruesome deaths, um, or shall I say one really gruesome death, um, that I was very like happy to see this movie like really, really go for like, yes. Please be nasty and disgusting and really bring the, not the blood and guts, but you know what I mean? Just like really have something that like like will blow my mind and go a little further. Um, I think the Stepfather 3 from what I read was made for Cable. Might have been, like, not HBO, but who knows. Uh, (laughs) um, Nothing that, like, HBO would, like, admit to having on their channel. It just was movie... Okay. It's clearly a movie that was made for a budget, trying to capitalize on the name of the stepfather. And, frankly, I remember when this movie came out on video because the cover of it with the shovel and the sort of lighting up of the chin of the stepfather figure and the grisliness of sort of the image of the shovel. Um, and then the text, I remember seeing the poster for this at the video store I went to as a kid, uh, way back in upstate New York <laughs> at the Starlight video. Um, and the poster freaked me out. I would have been really young, like eight years old at best. So <laughs> when I saw this was on Shutter and it was like the Stepfather 3, I was like, I gotta watch this because I did I did like the first stepfather film quite a bit. The second one isn't as as successful, but it's not terrible. Um, It's not as bad as this one, but this one, it's just not really great. You you know what's going to happen. It's nothing surprising. It's a stepfather film, whatever. But it does have some interesting moments to it that are of note. So ultimately, I can only give this two stars because it just doesn't really... (sighs) have a lot of interesting bits to it it's extremely predictable like i'll take i madman i think over this one just a little bit because i didn't really know what was going to happen with them that one though that film isn't successful either but uh as far as the film in the stepfather series that was technically not for theatrical release as far as i can tell uh this is not bad it's just not great (laughs) but stepfather 3 from 1992 directed by guy magar Like I said, I gave it two stars. Okay, so (laughs) we're still going. Still got a number of films to review still. Uh, One I want to mention and really bring to light and say, hey, this is the movie you should watch above everything else I mentioned in this episode. It's Anatomy of a Fall from 2023, directed by Justine Treat. The tagline is, did she do it? A woman is suspected of her husband's murder, and their blind son faces a moral dilemma as the sole witness this is a bit of a courtroom drama though it's a really intriguing one it really talks about people and assumptions and how we might see things from the outside and assume that's the way things are but isn't that the whole picture of things i can't spoil this movie um (laughs) i just want to say uh i really appreciate uh, the dog in this movie, Snoop, who is really adorable. It reminded me so much of my family dog when I was a little kid growing up named Ditto, who was a shepherd mix. And Snoop kind of looks like Ditto. Ditto and I miss Ditto. Um, but, uh, Snoop is a great performer. Um, in fact, everybody in this movie is a great performer. <laughs> it does star stars Sandra Huller as Sandra, the wife of the husband, um, who has unfortunately passed, uh, but we don't know if she did it or not. So you might go into this film being like, "Oh yeah, she definitely did it." Did it? But that's not quite what this movie is about. So <laughs> I don't want to say I don't want to spoil, but uh, Anatomy of a Fall is of a fall is mm, it's kind of like a dramatic family thriller in some ways. It's really impeccably done. I thought this is so intriguing and interesting and ask some really great questions of, of me as an audience member when I'm watching these people and like should we should we should we know certain things about certain people and should yeah behind closed doors like what are their secrets I don't know um <laughs> I don't know how to quite explain it um I would would I say watch the trailer I don't know um but this one the palm door at Cannes so it's very very likely this is like going to be a movie that picks up some award wins and nominations down the road. Um, it actually is a French film that was not selected as France's submission for the Academy Awards for International Feature. So the question is, will this movie overcome it not being selected and get other nominations? I think it will. I think Sandra Huller is really great. I've seen her in a couple of films over the years. Um, you might recognize her from the movie Tony Erdman. I'm not a fan of that movie, but um, she's, she's great in this one. Like, if you thought she was great in Tony Erdman, I mean, she's even better in this one. Uh, but Anatomy of a Fall from 2023, directed by Justine Treat. Like I said, don't really want to spoil it, but I highly, highly recommend it. And I gave it four stars. Okay, next. <laughs> Another horror movie. Definitely did not watch this one on Tubi. It's Thinner from 1996, directed by Tom Holland. No, not that Tom Holland. The filmmaker Tom Holland. Uh, The tagline is, let the curse fit the crime. An obese lawyer finds himself growing thinner when an old gypsy man places a hex on him. Now the lawyer must call upon his friends in organized crime to help him persuade the gypsy to lift the curse. Time is running out for the desperate lawyer as he draws closer to his own death. And grows even thinner. Um this started out okay. Uh, <laughs> for a movie in 1996 um, the face makeup and fat suit sort of stuff uh, was not really well done. It looks pretty comical and as the main character <laughs> Billy uh, becomes thinner uh, his face sort of melts in certain ways. Um and it's just not it's not well done. I had been wanting to see this movie for a really really long time. Like I remember when it came out in theaters, it had like sort of a scary kind of VHS cover where like this man's face is like you can see part of his skull and, uh, (laughs) the new DVD thriller, uh, um, thinner, uh, cover that says Stephen King's thinner on the front, which is, it's not good. I've seen that cover. It's, I don't like it. The VHS cover is the way to go. But, um, ultimately I think the story is just not well done here. Uh, it's this, this sort of goofy, uh, gypsy stuff where this man gets cursed, someone gets killed, it's his fault. It's just, there's a certain nastiness to the film in its characters and in the script that are just it's just a little off-putting but it feels very of the time so setting that aside about halfway through the film it just loses all its steam like when he gets super super thin and he's really pursuing how to get this curse lifted because at the beginning of the film Billy is like trying to lose weight and it's just not really working and then all of a sudden he's losing like more weight and his wife is like great and then she's like whoa, there's something really off with you losing this much weight. And it's very bizarre um, for her. Uh, But then you learn some other things about his wife and blah, blah, blah. And Billy kind of goes on a tear and um, people get killed and all this stuff. It's not, it's not a great film. It really is not. I watched this on Max, uh, HBO Max formerly they had a lot of Stephen King films on there. And I think this was like one of a very select few films that I have not seen, had not seen that King has written or been associated with through his writing. Like he doesn't write the script. He just gets involved as like the original source material, you know, to that extent. Uh, I have, let me look and see what I haven't seen. Uh, I didn't see the newer Carrie movie. I didn't see fourteen oh eight. Uh, apparently In the Tall Grass, Secret Window. Like, I've seen all the big ones. I've never seen, uh, the newer Firestarter movie. <sighs> I've never seen Silver Silver Bullet. I've never seen Salem's Lot, though I'm pretty sure that's a, that's a TV movie. Yeah. Uh, there's so many versions of Carrie. <laughs> um, but I would, I would really love to, like, say that I watched every single Stephen King related. Oh my god, this list keeps going and going and going. There are more Stephen King movies than I um, assumed as far as TV movies and movies. Yeah, this is really, really long. Oh boy. But that could still be a project. What if I did that? Um, (laughs) But thinner. Um, Yeah, it's not good. (laughs) Uh, I gave it one and a half stars. Um, The ending is particularly nasty and like really like, ooh, not nasty in like a gross sense, but just like evil and just bizarre um (laughs) but I will say a positive thing about this movie it was actually filmed um near where I live like in New Hampshire and Maine and had quite a few recognizable scenes at one point but uh wasn't entirely filmed near where I live I I know it was filmed I think from what I can remember what I read Belfast Maine I think is the main setting for it (laughs) haha the main setting but that's not near me Anyway, but Thinner from 1996, directed by Tom Holland, gave it one and a half stars. It kind of sucks, guys. It's not good. (laughs) Uh, Another movie that is not good. Charlie's Angels Full Throttle from 2003, directed by Vic G. This summer, the angels are back. The angels are charged with finding a pair of missing rings that are encoded with the personal information of members of the Witness Protection Program. As informants are killed, the ladies target a rogue agent who might be responsible. Okay, so this is a movie I got in a grab bag. I was, um, thinking, okay there's a certain time when you need to watch Charlie's Angels movie and it's just like on a weekend when you're just like tired but you can't fall asleep so I put this on and this movie basically took me back in time (laughs) it felt extremely extremely dated um this movie is so dated it has pink in the movie the singer and her hair was black at the time um (laughs) and uh it has everybody wearing like low-rise pants and like Drew Barrymore's character Dylan like only wears band tees and, um, pants. And it just took me back to a time when, like, I was 18-ish or so and 17 Magazine was, like, the thing I read and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, this movie is, like, so, so insanely dated. I could not believe how many things were just so of the time Like, sometimes you can watch movies that are older and they don't feel dated because they stick within the realm of the movie. But this one was just, like, so, like, (laughs) just so centered on, like, pop culture and even how it was filmed. Like, I mean, this is made by Mick G. When's the last time you thought about a movie directed by Mick G.? You don't think about movies with Mick G. You think about, oh, that guy who made a ton of music videos, like Smash Mouth and Bare Naked Ladies and all that, like, garishly bright-colored shit. And, um, yeah, this movie looks terrible. It is so overly lit, and everything is, like, vibrant in the wrong way. It just looks disgusting. Um, setting aside my issues with, like, the sort of trend trendiness and look of the film I don't think anybody's bad in this movie um for what it is it is just that it's just oh we're go- we're girls we're having a good time we're so awesome and fun like you don't doubt that these women are capable of doing whatever they're doing because if you saw the first film you know that they're just like out to have a good time but there's a certain obnoxious tone to the film where it just becomes like okay we get it you're just like doing this shit and then like nobody should doubt you but then like an angel is the bad person um Demi Moore's character (laughs) and she literally did like three days of work she has three scenes and that's it um and it's just like how hot can we be how bad can we be and it just becomes a very strange feeling of girl bossiness that um I uh I I don't know if it it exists anymore but it is still so dated and and just nutty and insane and did I mention that they all wear low-rise pants in like every scene (laughs) and I was just like oh god please do not ever take me back to that time and what do you know low-rise pants are back and people are wearing them and I will not partake no that's for the kids uh yeah I went through this era and it um it was just very bizarre <laughs> to go back cinematically to that time <laughs> um, i I know that when this came out in theaters it w- it made some money i i don 't think it made as much money as the first one, so that 's why I think they didn 't make another one with this cast but in case you didn't know it has Drew Barrymore Lucy Liu and Cameron Diaz like out of curiosity I'm gonna look up like how much it made so the budget for this sequel was 120 million dollars and it made 100 million in the United States and nowadays um as you may have recalled like the there was a Charlie's Angels movie that was directed by Elizabeth Banks that had um Kristen Stewart um and what's her name? Naomi something. I can't remember her last name. And another actress. I thought that movie was fine. It very much wanted to be more spy James Bond-like. This isn't like close to James Bond-like. This is like just ridiculousness. Um, I think I had come to the realization... And wrote this. I wrote this somewhere. This movie isn't really a movie. It's like a variety show. It's just like, we're just going to try to do all these wacky things, all these wacky costumes. And that's it. It's like how wacky and wacky and wacky can we be? And it just loses it. Like, I'm not saying this movie needs to be serious, but sort of has to have a plot. And the whole thing about the rings, it's just like, oh, we're going to go here and we're going to get the rings. Oh my God, we got the rings. Oh my gosh, we didn't get the rings. Now we got to go here. And try to screw this guy over. And then this guy screws us over. So now we got to go here. And then we got to go talk to Charlie. And then we got to do this whole plan. It just becomes like so unbelievable. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is a movie. So it should be ridiculous. And it should be out there and feel like a movie. But it just feels like a joke. <laughs> it's 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 quite incredible. Like you will not see another movie ever made like this ever again in your life. And that's what makes it feel like so incredibly dated they just don't make them like they used to and there's a reason for that um outside of the main cast like and I'm mentioning Demi Moore too um Bernie Mac is there as Bosley um yeah I miss Bernie Mac he was so fun in movies really liked him Justin Thoreau plays an Irish bad guy his name is Seamus O'Grady it's the most ridiculous casting ever there's nothing about Justin Throw that says Irish. Um, <laughs> and then Crispin Glover is back as the Thin Man. Another thing that is so weird about this movie, the entire movie just ultimately becomes about how Drew Barrymore's character doesn't have a boyfriend. It's like, why? What's the point? Like, why? Why do we need to do this? It's like they did. It's like, okay, there are movies made these days where they don't necessarily have a script and they cast everybody and people show up to set and they don't have any clue what's going on and i'm i'm feeling like that's what happened with this they're just like well we just need a scene here we just need a scene here and we just need a scene here so um i'm not saying this was made like a marvel movie is made today but it very well maybe could have been anyway (laughs) i have talked entirely too much about charlie's angels full throttle from 2003 directed by mcg but what can you do i gave it one and a half stars um i guess maybe it's good in some way that it's memorable (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay um another movie i didn't care for Ooh, this was this was maybe even worse um fingernails from 2023 directed by christos Niku. the tagline is love is a test results may vary anna and ryan have found true love together it's been proven by a controversial test there's just one problem anna still isn't sure then she meets Amir. so anna is played by jesse buckley and Riz Ahmed plays Amir. And Anna's character was one of the most obnoxious characters I've seen in a movie. Not just because she was constantly, like, looking at Amir in certain ways and, like, wanting to, like... You could clearly tell she was, like, fascinated with by him and, like, really wanted to be with him. But the acting by Jesse Buckley in this movie, and I'm going to say this is not entirely her fault, is just so muted and dull. Like, every character in this movie is so dull that I wouldn't if I had to sit in, in a room with any of these people I just would not want to everybody is so boring and the pacing and how these people talk to each other is just like everybody is just like heavily medicated and I don't know if that is like the idea the filmmaker was going for in that everybody is just so so muted and just we talk like this and we don't we don't have a lot going on in our lives but okay i'm going out tonight would you want to go yeah okay all right okay like i just was so turned off by this movie and how it made these people feel we're supposed to be believing that these people are like starting to like each other and get along but if i don't like these people <laughs> why would i want to care about their relationship and then There comes the whole thing with the fingernail thing where people have to have their fingernail removed to have this test done to see if they're a match. It's just not done in an interesting way to really talk about people and uh, relationships and how we fall in love. And then, unfortunately, it has Luke Wilson in a side role. And I thought, well, Luke Wilson's back. I love Luke Wilson. And he just doesn't have a lot to do in this. And then we have Jeremy Allen White playing Anna's husband, and you know from the first scene that they have together that (laughs) um, this marriage is not going to last despite whatever this test is said about them and man the testing of how they get these people to sort of interact with each other and figure out how these subjects um, do or do not like have promise of being together it's just weird like it doesn't work it's so uninteresting and bad man this movie like really annoyed me um because I think you could easily do a movie where you talk about love and why people fall for each other and how things work or don't work but it just went about it in the most like monotone and boring fashion I just found everything about this so incredibly obnoxious Um, I did like the set design for it. I liked how it sort of had this muted way of um, showing just like offices. It wasn't very high tech, but like at the same time, man, I, I found this like very tedious and difficult to get through. I think I was like an hour and 20 minutes in and I had to pause it to get up and I debated just shutting it off and forgetting I'd even attempted to watch the movie because it was just taking its damn time to get to what it wanted to say was that which was that ultimately um Anna was falling for Amir but they might not have been 100% compatible (laughs) and then it there's a scene too I I don't I don't want to spoil this movie because then it's a newer movie but then they have a test the testing done where there are two characters who are two men who were supposed to be in love and the machine breaks and it's like oh you you try to make a gag there about how the two characters who were not straight um broke the machine haha that just it's bad this movie rubbed me the wrong way so incredibly bad (laughs) oh man i just found this terrible like bad i don't even know why i gave it one and a half stars maybe that one and a half stars just for luke wilson He was looking good. Nice to see you again, Luke. Um, (laughs) But yeah, Fingernails from 2023, directed by Christos Niku. And I have to say, this was playing at a film festival in October in Boston that I could have gone to. I wasn't sure how I could make it work. I was like debating going and then I ultimately didn't. But I think to myself, it's so good you did not go to see Fingernails in the theater. I probably would have walked out. I would have hated watching it. Um, this is only available on Apple TV plus. So if you don't have Apple TV plus, Hey, you can avoid fingernails. (laughs) Okay. Um, we're at our final film and, uh, this is something I watched just a couple nights ago. It's new on Netflix and only Netflix. I had wanted to see it in a theater. Um, the Coolidge corner theater was showing this movie. I don't know if they're still showing it. Uh, but it's the killer from 2023 directed by David Fincher. Execution is everything. After a fatal near miss, an assassin battles his employers and himself on an international manhunt. He insists isn't personal. I would have loved to see this in the theater, so it didn't quite work out where I could just like take the bus into the into Boston to the Coolidge Corner and see the killer before the movie marathon that I went to in October. So I didn't, I didn't get to see it in a the theater. Um, but it's David Fincher, and I really like David Fincher's shooting style. I like how he uses lights and darks and shoots at night um, and general like shadows and stuff. Like he's not a like bright, screaming, uh, saturated filmmaker. Um, lots of greens and blues, and I I like how he makes movies look because um, I don't think a lot of people do darkness very well, but he definitely does in my opinion. And the killer, the titular killer, is played by Michael Fassbender. So as I mentioned in the summary, um, there's a fateful near miss in a job he does. And uh, he is a very mannered individual, has certain things he does in certain ways and certain things he likes, and he does everything to a T to a certain way. And the movie starts out explaining all of that to you. Um, And it might seem like a big turnoff. I've seen a lot of people mention that, but um, it made me think about like the things that go through our minds and how our brains work and how we talk to ourselves internally about I'm going to do this, and this is what I like, and uh, it talks a little bit about sort of consumerism and the individual and um, (laughs) branding and things, and um, somebody made a comparison that this was like kind of like the American Psycho David Fincher movie, and uh, I think that's a great comparison if you know anything about that script and Patrick Bateman, how he talks about his life and the things he does and doesn't do to give us a portrait of him. And I think that's the killer's way to only, you know, be able to associate with people and that he uh, has these things he's he's into and uh, he may or may not share them with anybody, probably nobody, but that is how he lives as a human being because the things he does are so, you know, he's a killer. So um, I don't really want to spoil the movie, like I said, but um, I enjoyed this. I gave it three and a half stars. Uh, I was really intrigued by where it was going, even though I sort of had an idea just because of what the subject is. Uh, But it's, as I mentioned, really wonderfully shot. Looks great. I like the score by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, like really great. And Michael Fassbender is a very compelling character in the film as the titular killer. <laughs> um, I, I do think I will watch this again soon. Um, just thinking about what Fincher has done over the years, like he has a certain fil- feel to his films. It's very cold, of course, but I always really like what he does. Um, <laughs> I Say what you want about Mank. It's You know, probably not a great movie, but I do enjoy Mank for what it is. And it does feel different than like his other movies. But ultimately it is about just like examining a person, a man. Um, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo is probably the most out of the range of that because it is investigating a murder, but it doesn't necessarily, uh, how should I say it? It sort of has a balance between how it talks about uh, Daniel Craig's character and Elizabeth Slander, who's played by um, Rooney Mara. Um, I should probably t- stop talking about Fincher right now just because <laughs> I could go down a rabbit hole of all his movies. And the reality is um, I haven't seen a number of them in quite a while. Uh, I feel like the social network is like always on FX, like all the time. I'm not a big fan of that movie, but I think structure- structurally it's very successful. Um, Yeah, he's a very yeah, he's a very tightly wound filmmaker and you understand why. And <laughs> I've seen also some people say that this is like a biographical film about Fincher and how crazy he is and like his uh, sort of, how should I say, it? perfectionism. And yeah, that's kind of what this character is like really striving for, trying to make sure the execution is everything as that tagline uh, and to a T. So that also goes in line with how he uh efficiently lives his life. But um, <laughs> I enjoyed The Killer from 2023, directed by David Fincher. Um, Do I have anything else I want to say about the movie without spoiling it? Uh, I don't know. I would love to watch it again, though, because there were so many little details about it that were fun. I'm not going to spoil those things, though. But (laughs) Uh, yeah, and uh, that is the episode. Um, Yeah, a little rambly but let's look at the big picture of how many movies I watched. So I watched like thirteen movies that I talked to you about this episode, including the six from the marathon. Uh, I saw one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, five twenty twenty three movies. That's that's awesome. And uh, yeah, three of them are in a theater, one on Netflix, one on Apple TV Plus, and at I said the killer's on Netflix. Yeah, it's also still showing in theaters in some places. So if you got the chance to see it in the theater and you're a fan of Fincher, I would definitely recommend it. Um, yeah. Is there anything else I want to talk about? I don't think so. <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe I will go ahead and go ahead and really assess all those Stephen King movies out there and give them a shot. Uh, every single one. I know there's some TV series too, but. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I read a lot of Stephen King when I was a kid. We'd go on camping trips and my dad had a number of his books. And then my sister had some too. So I'd grab one and put it in my backpack and we'd get in the car and drive wherever. And I read like Carrie on the road. I think I read like half of Salem's Law. I didn't read the whole thing. Uh, And I never started It because it was so big and it really intimidated me. But uh, I do have It. I know. I know that's like a ridiculous movie movie and book and it's a thousand pages (laughs) maybe I'll get to it someday (laughs) um but yeah that is the episode oh gosh what are we what can you look forward to in the next episode might as well just go ahead and look up what's coming out uh the marvels I am seeing that soon I thought for sure I wouldn't be able to see it until like Thanksgiving-ish but it looks like I'm going to see it really soon. Um, the Holdovers is coming out. It actually is already out here. Um, I just haven't gotten the chance to see it yet. Um, wish. I'm not sure if I'm going to go see that new Disney movie. I don't know. I heard some music from it. And it sounded really bad. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I think the Marvels and the Holdovers are what you have to look forward to in the next episode and frankly i don't have anything going on for thanksgiving i might just go see napoleon <laughs> what else am i gonna do i don't know and then december is knocking on our door i am going to be seeing the renaissance beyonce film i have a ticket i will be going i guarantee it um and the boy and the heron is coming out soon and i do know my theater is actually showing it with um the subtitle version Though the dubbed audience does sound really awesome. So we'll see. I, I think I'll make an effort to see that with um, the dubbing. Just because the dubbing cast looks great. But as I said, this is Mallory. This is Cinema 5000. This is the episode. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I have all kinds of things coming to tell you about. But movies coming soon. Marvels. Holdovers. And more. So we'll talk then. Thank you again and bye bye.